Greetings, beloved ones. My name is LaVon Briggs. I am a body and sex positive womanist preacher, speaker, and author. Sensual faith is a sacred space that I carve out for you to uncover your spirituality, recover your sensuality, and discover your sexuality. So if that sounds good to you, and if that feels good to you, you're in the right place. Won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life? I had no model. Born in Babylon, both non-white and woman, what did I see to be except myself? I made it up here on this bridge between starshine and clay, my one hand holding tight my other hand. Come, celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Greetings, beloved ones, and welcome back to another episode of Sensual Faith Podcast. I am your host, LaVon Briggs, and I am so delighted to be sharing digital space with y'all. Y'all, I have been so deeply grateful for all that has happened in my life with shifting to New Orleans, experiencing Hurricane Ida, evacuating and home hunting in the aftermath of all of that. I am here to testify the goodness, hallelujah, come on somebody of God. The very first listing that I saw that I fell in love with the photos and wanted to see, the realtor I was working with told me that he spoke to the listing agent of this unit and that it wasn't available. And I was infuriated. I'm like, well, I wasn't infuriated, but I was definitely flabbergasted. I said, how dare they have this luscious, opulent, succulent, delicious home online and it's not available? I feel like if the link is active, that means that the listing is still active. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, so I went through other listings from four or five realtors, really, and found one that I really, really liked and applied for it and didn't get it. And so that weekend, I was in D.C. to speak at the Women's March. There was a rally there at the beginning of the month. And I was in bed recovering, resting, you know, doing all the things as an extroverted introvert must do after being around a lot of people and performing. Shout out to all my extroverted introverts. And so I see this listing active again. I was like, you know what? I'm going to email this listing agent. And so I emailed her that Saturday. Sunday, she calls me. We have a quick chat on the phone. Monday morning, I go see it. Monday night, I apply for it. Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, I get the call. You got the apartment. And I was like, what? My realtor told me that this listing wasn't available. And the listing agent, she was like, well, he wasn't lying. We were saving this for the right person. And the homeowner slash person I pay my rent to saw my Instagram and loves the work that I'm doing and was like, yes, I want her. Give it to her. So needless to say, the prayers of the righteous availeth much. And your girl is moving into her current dream home because this is my dream home as of today. We have dreams that expand and evolve and enhance and all that. So anywho. I am so, so grateful because a big part of sensual faith is feeling at home in your body. And there are many of us for a number of reasons, whether it's due to family, church or society or a hybrid or a combination or amalgamation of all three of those things, which I call the unholy trinity that evicts us from our home. We might hear growing up that don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost and you need to keep yourself pure and holy, which usually means not having sex and not masturbating, not doing the things that bring our bodies immense pleasure and joy if done consensually. And if you are actually pleasured by sexual activity, 
that's another podcast episode is to talk about the spectrum of desire. I'm going to keep that in my back pocket. But another thing that affects our ability to be at home in our bodies is honestly what I've been hearing too few people in the church talking about today. So as you may know, October is Hoodoo Heritage Month. Shout out to all the Hoodoo practitioners. It is also Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Blessings to those of you who have been affected by breast cancer and is also Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So I want to go ahead and issue a content warning for this episode that if this is something that is a tender area for you or you just don't have the spiritual, emotional, physical bandwidth to engage in that kind of topic right now, just go ahead and tap pause or stop come back to it or skip this episode, whatever you need to do for you. But I just wanted to offer some radical hospitality there and let you know that we were going to be talking about that today. So when I was serving as an assistant pastor in the Bay Area, I noticed that my church, other churches were quick to have a pink Sunday. We would wear pink probably the last Sunday of October, and we would have a moment of silence for those we've lost to breast cancer. We would honor those who had overcome breast cancer, and we would support those who were currently fighting breast cancer. But then I realized pink might be for breast cancer awareness, but pink is not for domestic violence awareness. Purple is for domestic violence awareness. I was like, we always have pink Sundays. Why don't we have a purple Sunday? So in October 2017, I launched Purple Sunday and invited dozens of churches to partake in this liturgical experience where we would raise awareness around domestic violence and pray for those who suffered from it and also issue a call to hold perpetrators accountable. And so a major part of why we might not be feeling at home in our bodies is because we have experienced violence that makes us feel on edge or not quite safe. And at the core of that is trauma. I myself am a survivor of intimate partner violence. I have been in a relationship where my beloved, my boyfriend, the person who's supposed to protect me, love me, honor me, was the one who was harming me. I know when we think of domestic violence, we often think of physical violence, right? Hitting, punching, smacking, kicking, that kind of thing. But intimate partner violence can be even more insidious than that. It can be verbal abuse, emotional abuse. If it's attached to a community of faith, there could be spiritual abuse happening. According to national statistics, one in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner. And I am certain this is not including non-gender conforming slash non-binary slash trans folks. So because domestic violence is so underreported, particularly in black and brown communities, we actually don't know these numbers for real, for real. It's probably higher, which how much higher can you go than one in three, right? Two and three, three and three. Uh God, it just, it hurts my heart. And so I wanted to honor the fact that there are many of us walking around holding stories in our bodies, stories of domestic terrorism, whether it is when you were a child and you experienced it growing up in your household, or if you were in a romantic relationship with someone who was unsafe. I've been reading reports that domestic violence incidents have gone up due to COVID-19, people being at home, 
not having the same outlet that they did socially, physically. And so this is something that the church has a moral obligation to take a stand against. And far too often, the toxic, patriarchal, antiquated ideology masquerading as theology perpetuates the violence against women, whether it's a violent sermon that's preached from the pulpit or poor pastoral counseling, if you could even call it that, from a pastor who's saying you need to forgive and forget, you need to let go and let God, the husband is the head of the household and you need to just listen to him, whether it's victim blaming and shaming, well, what did you do to provoke him? And I'm using these pronouns intentionally because most intimate partner violence and domestic violence is perpetuated by men onto women and children. Not saying that women and trans folks and non-gender conforming folks aren't the perpetrators, but by and large, it's men. And so if you are a woman who dates men, you are susceptible to being harmed by them. Domestic violence is a terrible, horrific sin, right? If you want to use the word abomination, God would use that for that. I believe that wholeheartedly. And it's something that transcends race, denomination, age, you name it. The first time that I encountered domestic violence in my adult life, because oftentimes Black women are repeat victims of this kind of violence. It's terrifying and terrible. And I just pray for so much healing for us. I was 19 years old. I was dating a man nine years my senior. We had met when I was 17 years old at a high school graduation party. He was with the DJ. And just so y'all know what kind of frame of mind 17-year-old Levon was in, <laughs> this man came up to me and he said, you know, you the baddest bitch in here. And I looked him dead in his eyes and I said, I know, honey, it's the arrogance for me (laughs) because it wasn't confidence at that age. I had experienced some trauma and was unhealed in many ways. And so my braggadociousness was really amped up by my being known as a tropical Leo and a natural born leader and just look me in my mouth. Okay. We've always been about that life. So (laughs) needless to say, He gave me his beeper number that night and he told me to page him. I'm telling my age now, child. He said to page him when I turned 18. So when I turned 18 in August, I paged him like that October, let's say. So we ended up dating. And one night we were in Midtown Manhattan. Now he was a drug dealer and a pimp, child. I know. I know. Clutch your pearls. Pray. Judge your mama. He had access to drugs, which I didn't have any experience with up until that point. And so one night we were high on something. It might've been like ecstasy. I can't remember, but we were walking down the street in midtown Manhattan. And at that time I had a Nokia phone, you know, the ones with the interchangeable faceplates. He started getting angry about something and his voice started to escalate. So I started to power walk to get away from him and he followed me. So I started getting scared. So I called 911 and the operator was like, well, where are you? What's the address? I was like, I don't have an address. I'm on the corner of 59th and Lexington, let's say. Anybody from New York who's been to New York and is familiar with that area, there was like a Zara or Banana Republic over there. It was close to the Bloomingdale's, like just a bunch of little shops and stuff. And so it's later at night and there aren't a lot of people around, which is odd for friggin' New York City. Like, where are the people? Tell the whole truth, even if there were crowded streets, I don't even know if anyone would have done anything to come to my aid. Because when you see these kinds of situations happening in real time, in real life, people become bystanders. It's like they have these tunnel vision shades on that are invisible to everyone else but them. And they're just able to turn away from whatever's happening. 
I get it. People don't want to put their bodies on the line. Maybe they're afraid themselves. They don't want to get hurt. They might not know what to do in the moment, but we really got to create a culture where we do not tolerate violence against women and children, especially from men, even in public, even if they are strangers. And that is a huge, huge issue in our culture that we do not have deep care and reverence and respect for each other. The fact that we can turn an eye to say, how do I get out of this situation as quickly as possible? That don't have nothing to do with me. That's between them two. If they need help, they need to call the cops, which we know calling cops on black people rarely ends well. Just throw the whole culture away, child. So I didn't have a cross street for the operator. And by that point, his name's Gregory. Greg had grabbed the phone from me and he threw it at my thigh. So at that point, I knew I need to get up out of here. So I start booking it to the train station. He catches up to me inside of the train station. There were these orangey tiled walls. He stops me. He grabs me from behind. He spins me around. He puts his hand around my neck and he pushes me up against the wall. And I remember just looking into his face and being like, is this the same person who I have had sex with? I know his family. I know his niece. I spend the night at his home. I knew his grandmother. It was almost as if this wall came up between us and instantly my emotions had locked off. And I know that's not always the case for people who find themselves in relationships that are abusive, that there is this love-hate relationship that you do love this person, you want them to be better, but they won't get better or worse, they're abusive. It doesn't start out abusive. It starts out very sweet and doting and affectionate and maybe lots of gifts. And then one day it just switches. And so that's a part of the maniacal aspect of it is that it can make you feel like something is wrong with you and you end up gaslighting yourself and trying to talk yourself out of things. And if you have a relationship with God, you might be thinking, well, God, you won't put more on me than I can bear. And I want you to know that that is faulty thinking, beloved. God never intends for any of God's creations to be harmed. And so if you do find yourself in an abusive situation, know that I see you, I hear you, I believe you, I acknowledge you. What is happening or what happened to you is wrong. There was nothing you could do to stop it or prevent it. So please stop blaming yourself. God is pissed about it. Your ancestors are pissed about it. And I'm pissed about it. And ultimately, what you get to do, beloved, is to say, I reject the idea that God wants or needs me to suffer to prove that I am a good Christian. I reject and denounce any ideology that tells me that I need to be harmed in order to show how much I love God. I refuse to believe that the God of love and light and liberation would place me in a relationship that is not full of love and light and liberation. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And we need to cast that shit back from whence it came. And so I am so deeply grateful that in that moment, God, the divine, my ancestors, they gave me the strength to walk away from him. I took out my Metro card and I swiped it in the turnstile and I walked through and he didn't have a Metro card. He didn't have any money. And he just stood there screaming my name as I walked away and went home. And I never saw him again. Now, he could have hopped the turnstile. He could have shown up at my house. Like there are so many other ways this could have played out. So I know I'm covered, honey. I know I'm protected. If anybody else has ever made some reckless decisions and you are still alive to tell the story, come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed, honey. My ancestral caregiver, Lucille Clifton, she knew what the fuck she was talking about. 
And so we get to celebrate life every single day because we are here. We get to celebrate the fact that God has kept us through the years. We get to celebrate the fact that our ancestors covered us from the crown of our heads to the soles of our feet. We get to celebrate every motherfucking day that we get to lean into community and heal and evolve and expand and ascend. We get to celebrate every day that we get to sip delicious herbal blends of tea. Shout out to Teas with Meaning by Camila Mitchell. We get to sip delicious coffee harvested and planted and sold and shipped by Black women. Shout out to Black Girl Black Coffee by Reverend Dr. Nichelle Guidry. We get to be full of love and laughter and joy with Black women creators and filmmakers and musicians and poets and writers and authors and sculptors and painters. And need I go on? We get to honor the beauty of this life because we are here and we are more than survivors. We are survivors. Okay. That is a term that I coined. A survivor is anyone who has flourished despite facing life's harsh, extenuating circumstances. And so sibling, if you are in a place where you feel like you are just trying to survive, know that God doesn't want you to just try to survive. God wants you to have everything that you need in order to thrive. And if you happen to be a part of the remnant of whom domestic violence is a part of your story, know that that's exactly what it is. It is a part of your story. It is not all of your story. It is a part of your identity. It does not define you. And so you get to integrate all the parts of yourself because God wants you to be whole. God wants you to be happy and healthy and wealthy and abundant and successful and joyful and, and, and. God is a God of and. God is not a God of the past or trying to keep you there or trying to define you by your worst moments. God is a God of dreaming. God is a God of love. I want to invite you, beloved, whether your trauma is this particular expression found in domestic violence or if it's some other form of violence or oppression or suppression, some kind of emotional, physical, sexual, spiritual abuse know that you get to tap into that grief and that trauma and you get to heal that. Another Bible for me is The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma by Bessel van der Kolk, MD. Dr. van der Kolk talks a lot about how trauma literally lives in our bodies, that our brain, our mind, our flesh, our good, good flesh sometimes holds on to bad things that have happened to us. And Dr. Vanderkolk says, traumatized people chronically feel unsafe inside their bodies. The past is alive in the form of gnawing interior discomfort. Their bodies are constantly bombarded by visceral warning signs. And in an attempt to control these processes, they often become expert at ignoring their gut feelings and in numbing awareness of what is played out inside. They learn to hide from themselves. A huge part of sensual faith is to stop hiding from ourselves to stop suppressing and repressing the desires that God gives us naturally, but also to stop trying to compartmentalize and amputate the parts of ourselves that are hurting. If you have been a victim of domestic violence, that shit doesn't just dissipate. It lives inside of you. And so, yeah, when you're dating or when you are being intimate with someone or when you are watching a film, something might be triggered in you. And it's important to pay attention to those things, not to hide from it, but to embrace it. That's our shadow work. That's the part of ourselves that are maybe not what we put in our Instagram bio or on our resume or what we like to talk up when we're on a first date. 
But according to Dr. Vanderkolk, as long as you keep secrets and suppress information, you are fundamentally at war with yourself. God does not want you at war with yourself, beloved. He continues, the critical issue is allowing yourself to know what you know. That takes an enormous amount of courage to allow yourself to know something. There's a fancy word we learned in seminary called epistemology. Is that the word? Look at me being unsure myself. Yeah, girl, look at me in the moment. Child, trust yourself. You know what the fuck you're talking about. So do you see what I just said? The critical issue is allowing yourself to know what you know. I knew the word was epistemology, but there was this critical idea that rose up, this story that I allowed to take up space in my mind that said, oh, let me confirm. Anywho, epistemology is a fancy word that we learned in seminary. That means how you know what you know. If you've ever had a moment where you're like, I can't explain it. It's just something that I feel or I have this sense that I have this feeling that why do I feel like something told me that that's your gut, your intuition, the Holy Spirit. That's your inner knowing, the knowing that's in your bones. That's that ancestral, indigenous, ancient, timeless wisdom that we can't always quantify. And so in the colonized West, where everything needs to have a thesis and a hypothesis and data and results and a report and a PDF, you can feel like this is not good enough. Like I need to suppress this because it's not quote unquote, proven, but you are the proof. If you feel it, if you know it, if you sense it, that is your proof. And so in this season, beloved, I want you to know that you are worthy of safety and that your root chakra, that your sense of security and safety is your birthright. And we talking bare minimum. Safety is your birthright. And so in this last part, Dr. Vanderkolt says, being able to feel safe with other people is probably the single most important aspect of mental health. Safe connections are fundamental to meaningful and satisfying lives. And I would add, safe connections are fundamental to meaningful and satisfying and sensual lives. If you, beloved one, would like to take a deeper dive into honoring your story, I would highly suggest this book, The Body Keeps the Score. I highly, highly suggest talk therapy if that's something that you feel called to. I'll have some resources in the show notes for that. And also to know that you can release yourself from blame. It was not your fault whether the person put hands on you or used words that were unkind, you are allowed to feel at home in your body. And their words, their hits, those bruises, they do not have to be the end of you. The fact that you are still here proves that each of those things tried to kill you every single day and failed. So beloved, know that I see you, know that I love you, and know that God loves you. And it doesn't matter what you've been through or what you're going through. There is nothing, nothing that you can experience that would ever make you unlovable. And so this October, we celebrate Hoodoo Heritage Month. Shout out to the Hoodoos. We honor Breast Cancer Awareness Month. In fact, my maternal grandmother, Norma Yvonne Osborne Ashe, transitioned from breast cancer when she was 36. And so we give space for that. And we also lift up Domestic Violence Awareness Month. For those of us who have experienced this trauma, I am sending so much deep love and compassion and care to you and want to offer that you are not too much, that it was not your fault, and that God loves you recklessly. 
the only thing reckless about your life should be how much God loves you. So I am excited about the possibilities when we are having these hard conversations. I know that it's difficult that there are some people who would rather not talk about it, who would consider it taboo, but you are in the land of sensual faith now, honey. Okay. (laughs) And if I'm about to be at home in my body, there is no way that I'm not going to offer ample opportunities for others to feel at home in their bodies too. And that includes my fellow survivors, my sister survivors, my sibling survivors. We out here. So come celebrate with us that every day something has tried to kill us and has failed. Thanks for being here, beloved ones. Follow along with the conversation online using the hashtag SensualFaithPod and let's co-create this juicy, delicious community together. If you are already in, beloved, share, like, subscribe, and rate five stars, please and thanks. If you want to learn in community with me, we've already got a Sensual Faith Patreon that's been popping. Visit patreon.com slash LaVon Briggs and join the tier that's right for you. Follow me on social media at LaVon Briggs on all the things. You can visit my website, LaVonBriggs.com to book me for spiritual life coaching, tarot card readings, contact me for speaking, teaching, preaching, engagements, workshops, keynotes, media interviews. And if you are ready to invest in this work because baby, I'm investing in this work for us. So you can bless me on Zelle, Venmo, PayPal, Cash App, all the things they are in the show notes and in my links, in my bios, across platforms. You already know it's lit. Go in peace, go in power, go in pleasure. Be well, beloved ones. And if it's not well, it's not the end. And remember, faith should feel good. Good.